Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Y'all ready to go to the word, yeah? Okay. I'm excited. It's going to be a wonderful season for us. Do me a favor. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to pick up where we left off. If you haven't been with us in a couple weeks, or maybe it's your first time here to our church, um, you should understand that we are what's called an expository church. We preach through the Bible line by line. Amen. We do it what's called in context. We read full books or full letters or large chunks of scripture, and we do it so that we don't proof text. We don't helicopter in and pull out scripture that we like that meets our needs for the day at hand. Amen? We ask the Lord what he wants to say to us, and then we plain listen. Come on, somebody. So we've been walking through Luke chapter 7 earlier this fall, and now chapter 8, and we pick up today in verses 19 through 21. Very short passages of scripture, but an absolute absolutely important part of Jesus's teaching, not only to his disciples, to the, but to the world at large. And let me give you a good old fashioned disclaimer, okay? If you brought family to, to, to this church today, I love you. <laughs> and this, this may seem like it's going to be very hard, but I want you to understand that Jesus teaches hard things and he doesn't teach, ready, mean things. He's not a mean God. And the world might tell you that our God is a mean and wrathful God, but he's not. He's good. He's very good. In fact, everything he does is good. And so when Jesus teaches hard truth, it's good. So we're going to talk about families today family of origin, boundaries, relationships within the nuclear family. We're going to talk about dynamics. We're going to talk about toxic families. We're going to talk about good families. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying families are bad. Amen? Amen. But you know and I know not all families are good. Amen? Amen. All right. Luke chapter 8. That was your disclaimer. It reads like this in verses 19 through 21. It says this, then his, that's Jesus, then his mother and his brothers came to him but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they desire to see you. But he, that's Jesus, answered them and said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And the title of our message today is blood is thicker than water. You've heard that phrase, right? Blood is thicker than water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this word today. Thank you that what you teach us in your word often challenges what we've been taught in this world. But God, I thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. And God, I ask that you give us a spirit of reception today, that we would hear your heart and we would receive it, that we wouldn't grow defensive, that we wouldn't resist, that we would trust you. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about your family. Amen? All right. Um, 
You have heard it said before, family first. How many of you ever heard that before, that phrase? Family first. Family always comes first. And, and how many of you have ever, ever heard that phrase or, or even believed that phrase and then looked at your family and said, this family first? No. Because family dynamics can be very interesting. And I don't yet know one person in my life, in, in my, my time in serving in church leadership who would look me dead in the face and say, I literally have a perfect family. I've never met anybody. They, they have good members of their family. They have some wonderful experiences with their family. But everyone has someone in their family that just makes the family dynamics weird. Am I right? And if, and if you don't, it's you. <laughs> it's 100% you. If you're like, no, I mean, everything's great. When I show up, it's a party. Oh, my gosh, it's you. You're trouble. Every one of us has somebody in your family who's just like, yeah, man, it's, it, you know, it's an uncle who just cannot resist talking politics, right? It, it's an aunt who loves needlepoint and always wants to make some needlepoint for you. That's a personal thing. <laughs> it's a cousin who, who falls into partying a little too hard, even at the most strange point. Is there communion coming through again? You know, it's one of those folks. Every one of us has someone in our family that just kind of upends the family dynamics. And, and, and it's true that many of us are taught to put family first, but sometimes if we're really being honest, our family makes us feel like we're being put last. I don't know if, if you have ever had the experience where like you're the one that holds it all together for your family. That's hard. Or, or if you're the only one who gets it right and no one recognizes it. Or if you're in a family where all of the attention is paid on the ones who make all the mistakes and you just feel overlooked. Or, or maybe you just never really got the support that you needed when you made mistakes. You, you were hoping that people would give you the benefit of the doubt, but no one ever really extended such grace to you. Or, or maybe you just didn't have family. Maybe when other people talk about their moms and dads, it just burns inside because you don't know them. Maybe you've had a father who left. Maybe you've had a father who came back and wanted to pretend that everything was the same. For many of us, our families can be the greatest single source of joy. But for others, they're painful. Amen? And that's why when we hear trite, pithy phrases like family first, or this one, blood is thicker than water, many of us are left with a conflicted spirit. Because when we look at our own families, we're like, how can this be the most important part of my life? Let me encourage you with something. That phrase, blood is thicker than water, is actually completely used erroneously. The original phrase is Gaelic. And it is not meant to imply that blood, like family ties, are thicker than water, meaning everything else in your life. It's actually a Gaelic phrase meant to express God's love for us. The original phrase is this, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. The entire phrase is meant to express the opposite. And that's important for each one of us to know because today I want to lift the burden off of some of you who feel like everything in your life has to be approved by, stamped by, filtered through your family. Amen? Or for those of you who are here who've never felt that burden but would burn for the burden of familial ties, I want to encourage you 
that there is a family available to you that's far greater than what the world can offer. Amen? Now, when you read this scripture for the very first time, it may be, it, it may be natural for you to see and hear the words of Jesus and think, like, Jesus, Jesus is mean. Have you ever read scripture and thought, like, he's kind of harsh? I mean, at one point in the Bible, he calls a lady a pig. Oh, you don't know this. Read your Bible. He says, shall I toss pearls before swine? In other times, he calls men who call themselves faithful to God vipers. And in this instance, when his family comes to see him, if you just read this text on the surface, you might think that his dear family came to visit and he turned his back on them. But you have to understand the family dynamics. Amen? So let's talk about this family for just a moment. We're going to break this whole message in just a three sections, three section message based on these three different verses. And the first one I want to tell you today, the first concept that I want to share with you is this. There is power in proximity. And that is what Jesus's family is trying to achieve in this moment. They're trying to find the power in the proximity of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I want to touch it again. I want to say it about 15 times, family isn't bad. Family's not bad. Family is not bad. But not all family is good. Not all of your family members have your best interest in mind. Not all of your family members are leaning in the same direction as you. And not all of us come from families that present us with the best opportunity to move forward in what God has called us to. Because most of our families have some level of expectation. They have some level of preconceived notion about who we should be or what we are. You know this because many families are always pushing children in those families to go after specific careers. Do you know anybody in your life who's like, well, I guess I'm going to be a doctor because my family said I had to be a doctor. You know anybody like that? You know, families that are always pushing to become something so that the family can carry on a legacy of achievement, right? Or you've been around families where there's some serious dysfunction and people make mistakes, and one of the phrases that family tells one another is, it doesn't leave this room. We don't talk about this stuff outside of closed doors. If I use some of those examples, then hopefully you'll get to understand that I'm not attacking all families, but we are addressing the critical nature that is, not all families are good. Amen? And, and, and I want to show you real clearly how Jesus' family is just like your family. See, it says here in verse 19, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And it's written in such a fashion that you're like, oh, Mother Mary, she just wanted to see her baby boy. And his brothers, they just, they missed their brother. And they couldn't reach him because that doggone crowd but you should understand the motives by which this family came to see Jesus. You see, these mothers and brothers, Mary, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, they're coming to see Jesus, but they're not, hear me, coming to hear Jesus. You see, Jesus is still in Galilee. He's yet to begin the journey moving towards Jerusalem. That will start in our next chapter in Luke chapter 9 when he begins to make his way to Jerusalem, starts speaking about the real mission at hand, which is his death and resurrection. But right now, he's still kind of in his home region, and he's preaching eternal truth. And his family is there, but they are not there to hear that eternal truth. They're there to see him, visit him, and frankly, they're there to say something to him. Do you everybody in your life that always has something to say to you about everything come on you get a new tattoo and they tell you how tattoos last forever you ever been told that and you're like i know 
That's why I'm getting the next one on my face, mom. God. You ever have somebody in your life that always has comments about how much you make or what your job is or the person you're dating or whether or not that beard looks good? Isn't it strange that they feel like they have freedom to talk about everything? Amen. It's quiet in here. Are you that person? I'm confused. Everyone. (laughs) God loves your honesty, honey. Every one of us has someone in our life. They just feel like they get to say whatever they want. Jesus' family is coming to speak to him not to hear him. How do I know? You should understand this, okay? In Mark chapter three, this same family, the gospel tells us, they think that Jesus is crazy. Hear me. This same nuclear family, Mary and Jesus' brothers, are visiting him in another gospel And in a moment, the Bible tells them that upon analysis of his mission, what he believes he's called to do in his stated vocation, they look at each other and declare he has lost his mind. First, a little tidbit you should take. When any of us get serious about what God calls us to do, there will be people who will say, you are out of your mind. Seriously. When you're in a relationship with someone and you declare, we got to fix it, we got to do this right, we can't be living together, and they're like, what have you gone mad? We just signed a lease. Yes, I know. What does it gain a man? Profit the whole world and lose his soul. Or you get serious about going after Jesus and instead of clubbing on Friday nights, you decide to start serving and evangelizing. I met some people the other day whose mission, stated mission, is that they street preach. They actually have a milk carton. I met them at Denver Seminary. It's a young couple. They are crazy. It's awesome. They they believe full-heartedly that God has called them to go to streets and set milk cartons out and stand on them and boldly declare the gospel. Think about how, how crazy that sounds to you and I, and we love Jesus. <laughs> I talked to him, and he said, my family thinks we're, we're crazy. And I'm like, well, don't listen to them, brother. It's true that whenever you get serious about God, even in the slightest sense, there will be someone in your life whose feathers are ruffled because you got serious about the thing they know they're supposed to get serious about. That's why it drives people crazy. People don't get crazy if you decide to be an accountant, amen? They're like, fine. But when you decide that you no longer want to live in the iniquity of the fall of the world and sin no longer has a hold on your life, but you will live as a regenerated person because of the blood of Jesus Christ, well, it confronts people in your life to say the same is available and, can I tell you, required of you if you want to have eternal life. And when people see you do it and they don't do it, they're mad at themselves and they take it out on you. And so when Jesus is serious about the mission at hand and he starts spreading the gospel, telling people that he's the son of man and he came to redeem the world and he's healing and preaching in great power and people are leaving their homes and their fortunes and their farms to follow him, his family is like, this is crazy. This isn't who we are. Why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. It's that they take it out on Jesus. But it doesn't only happen once. You have to understand in John 7, it says... They never believed him. They thought he was crazy because they thought he was a fool. So when they show up in this text, they're not there for healing. 
They're there for one last chance to say, hey, you're freaking us out. Stop. Come to your senses. Come home and be normal. We're we're humble carpenters. We're, We're not dreamers like that. We're not wild evangelists like that. We, we do not upset the cultural or religious order. Why are you talking this way to the Pharisees? You are bringing dishonor upon our family. They're not there to be with Jesus. They're there to correct Jesus. You see that? But here's the best part. Jesus didn't stop. Because let's talk about this for a second. When your family has something to say, wish that we could all suggest that their words mean nothing. Don't I wish, don't we all wish that someone could say, you're a little too serious about this Jesus thing and it would just roll right off of you, right? Your pastors will tell you, don't worry about what the world says, just trust the Lord. And you're like, yeah, that's so easy, except for when it's my mother and my, my brothers. These are the same people I grew up with. I mean, everything that we spoke to each other had weight. And so when they start speaking against me, it hurts. I wish I could tell you that it's easy. It's not easy. And and frankly, here's the deal. I can't tell you the number of people that I've walked with, discipled, preached to, and seen come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, who when confronted by their family who called it stupid, turned their back and are back in the world. The words of our family have weight. Better said, it's like this. There's so much power in the proximity of family. They can say nearly everything, anything, even terrible things, and it will direct your course. I've always been very careful about the way that I let people talk to my sons. Early in their life, we had family members around that always used to joke about them. They would say, he's going to be a heartbreaker or he's gonna be a wild one. And, and I wouldn't, oof. Right. I wouldn't act the best. <laughs> but I was mindful that we never let those words sink into those hearts so that those young men became those young men, amen? So I would rebuke it. And early in my salvation days, I'd use Bible terms that had no context. I'd say, I'd rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And they'd be like, what are you, those aren't, those aren't regular words. What are you talking about, right? Because, you know, when you get serious about God, you start using Bible terms all the way. Flee from me, Satan. And you're like, did you just call somebody in our family Satan? I did indeed. But I was serious. And here it is. Ready? You should be serious, too, about the words you allow to be spoken into your heart from your family. The proximity of your family has power. But that power can never overpower Jesus' proximity in your heart. Ready? Right now, in this week, I assure you, the Lord is going to say something to you that will contradict something your family has instilled in you. And you get these beautiful choices to determine who you were and who God's called you to be. Now, I think it's important that right here in this moment, we... We do talk about boundaries. Last week, we talked about the mission field. Part of the conversation was all about how you and I are all called as disciples of Jesus Christ to make disciples. And I talked about breaking down boundaries and going across the world. We quoted Matthew 28 when when Jesus gives the great commission and he says, go ye into all the world, Judea, 
Samaria, the ends of the earth, breaking through boundaries such that people might meet Jesus, amen? And I told you that in that journey, when you are answering the call to evangelism, people are gonna hurt your feelings, amen? Remember that part? And I said, don't you worry about that. The Bible tells us that we're blessed when we're persecuted. When people come against us, God is with us. But I wanna tell you today that those boundary-breaking moments and that, and that, that charge to each one of you not to worry about setting boundaries or setting walls so that Jesus can work through you freely. It's not the same with your family. It's just not. Boundaries are vital in your personal relationships. Amen? Last week when I taught this, many people were like, so no boundaries? No, not no boundaries. In fact, the more intimate your relationships are, the more important boundaries are. Amen? Look, when I tell you that on the mission field there are no boundaries, what I mean to tell you is that you are on assignment as a warrior of the Lord, meant to go out and sometimes get offended or hurt for the case of the gospel, but God's grace is sufficient and his word will ring true. But in your family, you have to be a little more careful. Amen? I'm gonna talk to us for just a second about setting proper boundaries in your family, and here's how it works, okay? In your family, family of origin, you are fully allowed to tell people how they should treat you. Amen? Let's just, let's just do this for a second because I think most of us miss this. This isn't pop psychology and this, this, isn't, this isn't anything that's not biblical. This is the God's honest truth. You are allowed to tell people how they can respect you. Amen? Now, whether or not they respond to that positively is not your responsibility, but it is your responsibility to set the tone. So if there's a person in your family who's always disrespectful, you get to pull them aside by the elbow, no, not by the elbow, but kindly and say, I don't appreciate when you talk that way to me. I'm gonna ask you to speak kindly to me and afford me the same grace and dignity that I do to you. You address it once and you give them the opportunity to live in that world. When we create boundaries, we're inviting people to treat us right, amen? Boundaries are not bad, and if you set boundaries with people you love, being in a romantic relationship or a family of origin relationship, and they choose not to abide by those rules, what they're telling you is I will not respect you, and I will make determinants about how you are treated irregardless of your personal value, hear me? And so if someone does that, you, hear me, get to walk away from them. Isn't that hard? You're like, wait, family first. Yeah, family first, unless family puts you last. And then you say, look, here's who I am. I'm of great value. The Lord loves me. I matter. And when you treat me any other way than that, you don't get me. That's it. It's so simple. You don't get to love me if you abuse me. You don't get to be around me if you hate me. The world is full of people who are out to hurt me, abuse me, or hate me, and it doesn't have to be you. So love me, amen? Here's why I know that's biblical. Because in verse 21, the family's still waiting outside. You see, Jesus' mother and brothers comes to see him. And someone reaches him, but the family's still outside the boundaries. Hold on, you have to see this. Because while there's power in proximity, right? While your family
Proximity to you has power. The real asset is access. Who can get access to you? And in this instance, who can get access to Jesus? That's what really matters. I want you to see this for a second. Verse 20, it says, and he was told, Jesus was told. He didn't pass the message. This was a conversation from one person to Jesus. And that person said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. Hold up, wait a minute, time out. I thought the crowd was so big, no one could reach him. I thought the crowd was so thick that even his mama couldn't get through it. It was impossible. I don't even know where he's at. No one could even wedge their way through the back line of the crowd because it was so thick that his mother and his brothers couldn't get there. But we read in verse 20 that someone just walked right up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, your mama's over there. Doesn't say they fought, doesn't say they struggled. It says they were immediately in the presence of Jesus, close enough while he was preaching to interrupt him and speak into his ear and say, your mother's here. Jesus wasn't unreachable. Jesus wasn't hiding. Jesus wasn't far. They, they weren't unable to get to him. They were just unable to get to him with that bad attitude. See this, verse 20, they show up, they want to see Jesus. They're left standing outside the crowd, but someone gets close to Jesus. Someone walks right through the crowd and gets connected. The best part about this is who can get close to Jesus if his mama can't get close to Jesus? I mean, even if his mama's mean, wouldn't he still let her come through the crowd? I mean, you have a mean family member. And you, st you still take her calls usually, right? But Jesus doesn't take her calls. But he does take a call from somebody who walks right up. So the question you should ask in your heart is who gets so close to Jesus? And I'm glad that you asked because I want to answer it for you right now. You should read this in Psalm 24, verses three through six. Ready? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. For such is the generation of those who seek him. What's the difference between the family left on the outside of the boundary and the servant who gets to walk right up to Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us it's clean hands, meaning forgiven. And a pure heart, meaning repentant. It says, such is the generation of those who seek, and seek him, meaning faithful to the mission at hand. You see, while your family has power just because they have proximity, okay? The real asset in your life is how much access you have to God. And that access is built wholly, exclusively, on whether or not you and Jesus are on the same page. His family wasn't on the same page. They came to talk to him. But there was somebody who was on mission, who was committed, who was faithful, who rolled right up to Jesus and was like, I, um, I, I gotta talk to you. And he stopped everything and said, what's up? 
And I want to tell you this today, that, that kind of behavior between Jesus and this disciple is 100% available to you today and every day heretofore. Our God, ready, is never unreachable to those who would earnestly seek him. The Bible tells us, we quote this nearly every weekend, for those who draw near to him, he draws near to them. Or better yet, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The, the, the lesson is clear throughout Scripture. When we chase after God, he's faithful to pull up his skirt and run across every boundary to meet us in the middle places and say, welcome home, I missed you, I can't wait to talk to you. What's going on? And you're like, well, there's people who want to see you. Are they with us? Nope. Good, let's just you and I spend some time together. Because access matters, amen? And access is built on obedience. Now, here's the last part, and we're going to worship because I think I'm just going to spend a few minutes in this last little section, and I'm going to quote some scripture today, and I'm going to really challenge you very, very hard with something I want you to walk away with between now and when we land on Colfax because I think it requires that of you. Here's the deal. Um, we are, we're not talking about history when we talk about families. When Jesus is talking to this disciple, he, he, he turns this conversation to this disciple who's got access, and, and he makes a really hard statement in verse 21, hard and almost offensive. And we had a young couple in our church who were thinking about inviting their family to church this weekend. And we're a little bit concerned because that family may not all be believers. And they're like, pastor, are you really preaching this passage? And I'm like, yes, we're in trouble. Because when you read it, it sounds like he's mean, but he's not mean unless you only see this through the lens of history. And most of us see our relationships and families through the lens of history. Where we came from is supposed to dictate where we end up, amen? It's all about legacy and all about tradition and who we were and what we said and what we did and what we were and what we said and what we did and what we were and what we said and what we did. And when you're finally the person who steps out of that and says, what about who I might be? What about who God called me to be? Everybody gets offended because it feels weird. And I'm gonna tell you this right now, when God talks about family, he ain't talking about history. He's talking about destiny. He's talking about where we end up. Because not every family of origin has the same ending. Hard truth. Ready? Not everyone in your family is going to spend eternity with you. Not everyone in your family is going to walk through the same gates and worship forever with Jesus, with you. But you can't let the fact that they're stuck or resistant or rebellious hold you back from where God is calling you. Amen? You can't let what they say be stronger than what he says. Now, I want, I want you to see this because this is, this is important. It's kind of interesting here in verse 21. It says, he answered the man, the disciple. He said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and don't miss these last three words. This is the spirit of Nike right here. And they just do it. Here's what you need to understand in this moment is that as Jesus has been teaching to this ever-growing crowd, and what we know from the history of the way in which Jesus teaches is that when he begins to speak, the crowds begin to gather, and they begin to press in. You've heard this. When Jesus
Come on now. There are some times when Jesus is preaching that the crowd presses in so heavily that he has to leave the crowd and get on a boat to go into the water so he has some distance. And so what we know about the way that he teaches, the way that he interacts, just the mere presence of Jesus is that it's so magnetic that when he starts talking, people start leaning in. So the crowd is not just big, it's tight. And Jesus is talking in this moment to many types of people. He's talking to people like his family who aren't, aren't listening. They're not engaged. They're not interested in obeying. They're here to confront. They're here to resist. They're here to critique. And that is your life. There is a whole group of people in your life who are not interested in conversion. They think your faith is stupid. They think you're a fool. They'll quote Marx to you and say religion is the opiate for the masses. They'll quote Dawkins to you and talk about the God delusion. They'll quote any number of atheists or any number of apologists for the world and the humanity to point out to you that your faith is folklore, it's myth, it's foolish, and you're a fool for following it and giving your money and your time to a bunch of charlatans. And they'll say things that are so sharp and so cutting that you won't have a retort for. And some of us will be challenged in our faith because we don't know enough of this to fight back. There are enemies in this world. They are the enemies of God. And when you have his stamp on your heart, they become your enemies too. Amen. Wish I could tell you it was all roses, but it's not. But in this crowd, just like in your life, there's a whole nother group of people here. It's, it's the reason that Jesus makes the caveat at the end of this passage. There is a whole group of people who have come to follow Jesus. They may have even left behind a few things or they show up at every meeting and they always get a good seat and they love to hear Jesus preach and sometimes they're the loudest. Hallelujah, Jesus! Yes, Lord! And when it comes time to worship, they jump the most and they praise the most and they make a big show of it because they want to make sure that everybody thinks that they're Christian followers, lovers, obedient, but on the outside they show one thing and on the inside there's nothing. Nothing, nothing. There is a whole group of people in this moment right now that Jesus is talking to and they're just watchers. They're, they're fakers. They're hearers of the word. And this is when we turn this conversation to you, good and hard. Are you a hearer of the word? Do you come to church and you're like, I love vegan, it's so fun, worship's great. We're like, we, we, we have church in cool spaces. We don't even call it Beacon Church, we call it Beacon. <laughs> Pastor's cool. He's like sweating all the time. Spits all over the place. And he's passionate. And he talks about the Bible all the time. And I love it. And I go home every week to my unbelieving girlfriend that I live with. And we smoke weed together. I keep trying to tell her to come to church. I go out with my friends. We got hammered on Tuesday night. And I was like, you should come to church with me, bro. And no one seems to go. There are some people in this room right now, and if it's you, I'm pushing as hard as I can against you. You are hearers. And when you come on Sunday, we think you're a doer, but you're not. You're a faker. And this is the most loving thing I can say to you today because it would be wrong of me to celebrate you faking it every Sunday. If you come here and you hear, but you don't do, it doesn't count. 
It's like scrolling through social media. It's entertainment, but it's not changing you. And so Jesus leans over to this disciple and he says, my family, my family, my family are those who hear what I say and do it. You see, the critics are not family and they're not forever. And the watchers or the hearers, they're not Jesus' family, though they talk a big game. No, the family are the doers. Those who hear the word and put it into practice immediately. I tell you we're called to repent and you begin repenting right then and there. You change your ways, you turn your back on sin, you flee from the enemy and you run headlong into our Savior because you know that in him is life eternal and behind you is death eternal. Those are doers. And you might read this scripture and think Jesus is so mean, but no one in this moment would have received this as a mean moment. Everyone who was close to Jesus, who was pressing into Jesus, would have seen this disciple walk right through the crowd knowing that he and Jesus were on the same page. He was obedient. He was on mission. He'd sacrificed. He chased after Jesus and said, where you go, Savior, I go. What you say, I do. This is how it works. I'm in your corner. I'm obedient to you. You are Rabboni. You are Mashiach. You are my teacher. And Jesus leans over, and when he has this conversation in verse 21, no one would have thought he was being rude. Here's how it would have worked. Canaan, come here real quick, real quick. Quick, 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 quick. Come right here. Okay, you're the disciple. 45, so they can see your pretty face. So handsome. He's so handsome. Sorry. The disciple presses through the crowd, through the impenetrable crowd. And he gets to Jesus, and the disciple says, your family's here, and they want to see you. You said it so well. (laughs) And here's how this would have worked. Jesus would have turned to the disciple, and he would have said this. My family is those who hear me and do what I say. The young man would have heard this. My family is you. You're my family. And in front of every one of these other people pressing in, the fakers, the critics, and even the family that came to correct him, Jesus would have declared in front of all of these people, you know who's coming with me forever? It's you. Now I need you to be in this, you can sit down. I need you to be, I need you to be in his his shoes for a moment. Because this young disciple would have heard from Jesus, despite our cultural traditions in the ancient Near East, where the Hebrew mother rules the home. Despite the fact that in the ancient Near East where every family unit lives together, where we don't leave our family, but we live in pods. We live agrarianly. We live forever. Where mom and dad live, I live. And when I marry, I still live there. And when my kids come, we still live there. But despite the fact that everything we know about family is tight and cohesive and built on the water of the womb, he would have looked at this disciple and said, in spite of all of that, you're my family. It would have challenged every cultural norm in the moment. And the God who was healing 
and speaking life to dead situations would have presented this faithful servant in front of all of these people as a brother. And seen through that lens, you and I should understand that Jesus is not condemning family. He's commending each of us to be in the family. He is saying, I don't care where you came from. I care I care where you arrive. I care about whether or not you and I get to spend together forever. But I don't want you to fake it. It matters if you do what we say we're called to do. Amen? So let me leave you with this. Band, you guys can come up. I want to share just a couple short verses with you, and then I'll let you, let you go. I, I, I need you to understand that the Bible tells us that the covenant of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on Calvary has power. And that same blood gives us one something that our families of origin can never give us and the world can never give us. I wanna, I wanna just lay out about six or seven examples and I wanna challenge you today. Matthew 6 and 10 tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ gives us proximity to the kingdom. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Hebrews chapter four tells us that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we get direct access to the Father. It says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. John 6 tells us that the blood of Jesus gives us life in exchange for death. Romans 5 tells us that we are justified by Jesus' blood. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are redeemed by Jesus' blood. justify you before the Father? Can it heal you from the inside out? Can it wash away the iniquity of your sin? Can it make you in right standing with the Father? Can any relationship regenerate you and make you brand new? The answer is no. The answer is there is only one family member, our kinsman redeemer, our Jesus who's closer than a brother who says, if you and me and I and him, then you in the Father forever. So here's my challenge to you this week. You got a whole week till we come back to the Bluebird Theater, okay? Now, obviously, I'm gonna invite you to invite friends to the Bluebird Theater, amen? That's not your challenge. Invite three people and I want you to ask yourself, which one of these three kinds of people are you? Are you a critic? Do you stand outside? And you have things to say to Jesus about what he has to say. We read scripture and you don't like it and you're against it and you want to correct it and you have suggestions for the eternal God. Sounds funny, except for so many of us do it. We go to the many passages about sexual immorality. We go to the passages about giving to the church and you're like, well played, Jesus, but also this. Truth is, many of us, if we're being absolutely honest, we're critics of God. We're here to correct him to give them the right way to do things. Or, some of us are hearers of the word. In fact, we could quote scripture, but our life is still marked by iniquity. We're still trapped in the same sin, sexual, financial, spiritual. We're attracted to dark things. We love things that are ungodly. 
We like to listen to gospel and <laughs> and trap music, she said. So personal. I appreciate you. She's like, he's saving me. Or are you a doer of the word? Does the word of Jesus Christ have eternal authority over your life? And so what he says goes, end of sentence. When he says it's time to stop that, you stop that. When he says this is the order of the world, you say that's the order of the world. And when he speaks hard truth, it hurts your heart, but you know it's good for you. You have a new heart for him. That's the challenge. That's being saved. It's not a prayer. It's a life. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!